You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am Matt Baker. I perform a comedy and stunt show. And I'm Louis Fox. I do uh, magic tricks, comedy, and hand shadow puppets. <laughs> and we both have performed at the Moisture Festival for a number of years. So welcome to the podcast where we give you a peek behind the curtains of the performers and the people that make the Moisture Festival happen. You get a little, little bit of a look at their journey to getting on stage and a little bit about what they do in their time off stage. So welcome and be sure to check out all the episodes of the Moisture Festival podcast because there's a lot. There is a lot. And if you aren't familiar with the Moisture Festival, it's a four-week festival celebrating variety arts. So that's hula hoopers, magicians, people who bounce on their hands, acrobats, pretty much anything you can think of. It is the largest festival of its kind in the entire world, folks. In the entire world, it's the largest festival, and it features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, but they have a burlesque venue that runs for one week only, and get your tickets for that early because that always sells out actually 95 percent we've crunched the data louie yes 95 percent of the shows sell out so if you're listening to this in the months of march and april be sure to go to moisturefestival.org and get your tickets today yes especially if your bucket list item is to see the opening show get them now absolutely On this episode of the Moisture Festival podcast, we triangulate locations and welcome in the juggler, paddleball master, and bubble man, Steve Langley. We talk about his start as a chef, going through the different phases of his career as a juggler, paddleball master, bubble master, and now the pinnacle on the Moisture Festival podcast. <laughs> No, it's kind of cool to see how he continually reinvented himself, the challenges that he faced when uh, certain markets froze up, and uh, how he uh, kept in show business by discovering bubbles. It's a super cool conversation uh, with another bubbleologist. It's our second bubble interview. This is awesome. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> super cool. Let's let's get to the interview with Steve Langley. Let's do it. <laughs> Today's guest is a juggler, paddleball player, and bubbleologist. He has appeared on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, performed at the White House, and was featured on a cartoon for Ripley's Believe It or Not. We welcome in Steve Langley. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say, you have been the most requested interview that we have uh, we've received. So, well, wow. requested by us because yeah. we have oh, to okay. keep well, hey, I'll take that. It was one person. It was two yeah. first. But was... All right, I'll take that. I'll take that as a qualifier. Sure. <laughs> so can you explain you do a lot of things. Uh, can you explain to our <laughs> listeners what you do? Yeah, well, these days I'm pretty much focused primarily on what we call bubbleology, the art and uh, science of, of bubbles, um, you know, but have been through different phases in my career. And, and although I, you know, once a juggler, always a juggler kind of thing. And, 
you know, so I'll still always consider myself a juggler, even if I'm not a, uh, you know, working professional juggler. Um, and then the paddle ball thing is something that kind of is lurking in the background. I still sell paddle balls and, and mm. there's some, uh, plate people still track me down occasionally from parts of the world to, to buy my, my great paddle balls. So, so still kind of loosely involved in both of those, but Okay. Bubbles have kind of taken over with with a vengeance, so to speak. You know. So wait, wait. You have a, the like the Steve Langley paddle ball. Yes, yes. The paddle ball king. Uh, you know, original. It's 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 a good paddle ball. It's one of the best paddle balls out there on the market. You know, it's the old school wooden. You know, I, I set them up with a whole bunch of extra line, and I've got some uh, tutorial videos on my YouTube channel, and so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I still kind of exist in the paddle ball realm a little bit, you know. Now, is it, are these paddle balls something you had like ten million made in like nineteen eighty four, and you're just running? Out? <laughs> no, I wish that were the case. Um, they're they're all sort of like handmade, uh, hand assembled. Um, you know, I don't sell that many. I don't sell enough volume to ever have them mass produced and shipped over on a boatload. You know, so we do them in batches of usually a couple hundred at the most. And uh, that'll last for a while, you know, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's handcrafted. It's like a piece of folk art almost, you know what yeah. I mean? It's a sort of designed and kind of the retro sort of style, you know, so they look like some of the older ones, but high quality, you know, lifetime guarantee, you know, comes nice. with uh, all the extra line you need. All you have to do is send me a postage paid envelope and I'll send you more lines. So it's a, it's kind of a unique paddle ball out there in the in the world of paddle well, balling. You, well, and I th I think that's not a good question, Louis, because if if you had ten thousand paddle balls made, every paddle baller in the world would have like a hundred, <laughs> at least. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's cheaper to make ten thousand than it is to make like seventy five, though. Right, and the whole reason I started making it was because there wasn't really a good paddle ball available on the market. Um, no one was selling a good product at the time. And, uh, I found a, a vendor who used he still makes yo-yos of BC toys who used to make yo-yos and paddle balls. Uh, Brad countryman is his name. He had shut down his operations, but he had the, the rubber line that you need, you know, you need just wow. the right kind of rubber line. But when he bought it, it was extruded from the machine into the box it was like twenty six thousand miles of rubber band <laughs> you know so i had to buy this huge big box to buy the kind of rubber band that i needed you know so once i bought this huge box i'm like you know i need to sell a few paddle balls you know just to offset the cost of this <laughs> giant box of rubber band you know so when did, first, you, did juggling come first or did paddle ball come first Juggling definitely came first. Yeah. Um, I was part of an act called the Fettuccini Brothers, Alfredo and Al Dante. Uh, <laughs> and then it was Alfredo and Al Fresco. You know, we went through a series of Al's. But uh, yeah, I did that for most of my career. We had a good, probably 25 year run between both partners I had. Um, and then the paddle balls was almost like a, uh, sort of bridge the gap between juggling and bubbleology. Yeah. <laughs> that has never been said in the history of the world. <laughs> I imagine so. <laughs> it's, it's been an uh, unusual way of making a living, but always fun, never boring, you know? So how did you get into the paddle ball? You know, uh, my partner and I, uh, when we traveled a lot as the Fettuccini brothers, 
you know, some of the gas stations, you know, in the in the candy slash toy section of these little truck stop gas stations, there would almost always be paddle balls being sold, you know, for some reason. Of course, they were usually pretty bad made paddle balls. They weren't that good. Just rubber line staple to the paddle, you know, a stiff old ball. But we would buy these and sort of use them to pass time hanging out in the hotel room, you know, knocking things off each other's head and, you know, breaking things and pr- knocking spaghetti out of each other's mouths, just coming up with fun ways to play. And we ultimately thought that it may make it to the act one day in some sort of, you know, mano e mano paddle ball duel on stage, yeah. you know, but, but, but it never developed, you know, as, as a bit that made it to the stage, but, we just spent a lot of time playing with it and realized what an absurd little toy it was. Um, And I started playing around doing multiple numbers of paddle balls, you know, fanning them out in my hands, almost like you would fan out cards, you know, so you could get multiple paddles in each hand and then ultimately attaching them to my waist uh, with a belt and, and hopping up and down. And at one point got up to, uh, as many as nine paddle balls at one time. Wow. Um, and so that led to a Guinness, a Guinness world record opportunity is, is sort of, you know, the, the paddle balls sort of was my entree into the world of Guinness records. And it looks like you had the record at seven that you did in Italy. Yes. Yes. I think that's where it stands now. Yeah. And that was on national television over in Milan, Italy. Um, I had a friend that was on the show, uh, Dick Franco, Mm -hmm. kind of a legendary juggler, uh, was on there. He was uh, managing and and working with his uh, stepson, Ty Tojo, who was uh, doing some sort of Guinness World Record on the show. And I guess the producers came to him and said, hey, you know, we need some sort of wacky, kind of fun, silly novel to a record attempt that we can put on the show. And uh Dick Franco had seen a YouTube video that I put up of me doing nine paddles for a pretty long time. Actually couldn't do them that long. I looped the video and kind of cheated and made it look like I could really rock these things for a while. And so I didn't know this was good. So he sent the video and the producers loved it. They're like, oh, Dick told me you may be hearing from these producers in Italy to come bring you over, to fly you over to Italy and put you on this Guinness World Record TV show. And I was like, oh, cool. So sure enough, I heard from the Guinness people and said yes, and then set out to try and actually do it. <laughs> now, did they ask for nine? You're like, well, let's just make it sure I break it at seven. Well, you know, that that's what they kind of wanted. But because it was a new record, right, it was a brand new record, the most paddle balls done by one person, you know, the record could be set at a lower number mm. and then build it, you know, um, yeah. so to speak. Um, so yeah, they didn't want me to do nine right out of the gates, ah. but, but it was the appeal of the nine, I think in sort of the bizarreness of, I mean, you know, if yeah. you've ever looked at the video, it's so silly. It's so absurd, you know, to watch. Was, kind of like did a, you have to do it a certain amount of time? Was it like a what? time thing? Like a, like, you yes, have to, the longest amount of time doing seven paddle balls. Well, they, what they do is they, it was the most paddle balls, but they did kind of pick an arbitrary amount of time. Yeah. I think it was like 10 seconds or 15 seconds, you know. So, yeah. you know, um, anytime you set a new record, uh, they sort of arbitrarily kind of set rules that they pick out of the air. Um, yeah. 
And to be honest, that was the biggest challenge was communicating with them back and forth what they would allow as far as um, apparatus with the paddles. For example, I, f- I held three in each hand, kind of fanned them out. And I had a little clip that I would use to assist in keeping the, the space right and everything. And I kept trying to get an answer from them before I flew over there. Hey, will you allow this? Will you allow yeah, this? Yeah. Never got an answer. Yeah. So then I got over there and all of a sudden they looked at my equipment and said, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. And essentially they kind of tied my hands mm. as far as how many paddles I could do, because the method that I've been using to practice, they said just sort of arbitrarily, well, you can't use that apparatus. Yeah. So it made it real challenging. And, and it was all stuff that I tried to avoid with preliminary conversations yeah. before I went over there, but couldn't get answers from them in a timely manner. So it was a bit of a disaster. You know, I got yeah. over there and they're expecting me to do, be able to do nine. And all of a sudden I'm struggling to do six or seven, you know, yeah. and, and, and it was kind of like, well, Hey, I tried to prevent this. I yeah. emailed, I emailed, you didn't get back with me because what they do when you're filming a TV show, if it's a new record, they want you to set the record in rehearsal. Yep. So then when they tape the TV show, they can go, he's breaking a record more dramatic than Mm. setting a new record. There's not a lot of tension or drama to someone setting a new record. So what they typically do with a new record is go, we're going to in dress rehearsal. You'll actually set the record and then you'll beat it on the TV show. So you're not setting a new one. So I had to set it in rehearsal at a number that I could then top on the TV show. And with them removing some of the methods I was using for securing the paddle balls. So, yeah, it was an interesting experience. You know, overall, it was it was challenging. Uh, it was difficult. I was struggling to do what they kind of expected me to do. But in the end, it all came together and they ended up editing me last on the show. So obviously it was, oh, you know, one of the highlights. Uh, but it was real touch and go there at one point, if I was even going to be able to do yeah. what I had hoped to do. Um, well, I, I have been on that same TV show and the, I have the exact same experience, which it was interesting, like just a bit all over the map and communicating yep. with them uh, on the specifics of the record was challenging. And then when I showed up, the, they wanted something like the the equipment they wanted used was totally different than what I had been rehearsing with. And it was interesting to hear that. Yep. And And I've heard that story from others, you know, basically the same experience on a U.S. Guinness TV show as well, where they change it from standard to metric, which made a huge difference. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, six feet and two meters are two different things. (laughs) Yeah. It was a great experience in that it did sort of uh, initiate this relationship with Guinness that then bled over into when I started bubbling to set some bubble records. So I kind of already had, you know, this experience with Guinness and that, you know, helped me sort of separate myself from the sort of the bubble pack, you know, having a a little stack of Guinness records. And, and, and uh, so for me, it's always been a fun thing. You know, some people are highly competitive about it and, very oh that's my record and done it you know but i've always sort of Uh tried to help people and i've even advised people in methods that could 
top my own record, you know? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's more of a fun pursuit and, and, and not so much a competition as totally. some people and view it. How many Guinness yeah. world records do you own right now? Well, I, I've set nine. I, I'm not sure how many I currently hold. I think, uh, three or four still stand. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's constantly changing, you know, and there's been one that I, the, the longest hanging chain of bubbles, I set it, then an Italian guy beat it. And then I took it back from him. And now recently a Japanese guy beat it. And I sort of advised him and helped him beat the record, oh, but I forgot, good. I forgot to tell him one little small thing about, you know, when you're beating a record and, and at the risk of sounding, you know, like you want a sandbag, you don't want to go in there and do the absolute most that you can do. You know, with this chain, you can just beat the record by a couple bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then more people could come and we could get more mileage out of it. Yeah. And, and you know, he could even maybe claim and but he just went and set some record that just like no one. Will ever it, it's almost unbeatable, you know, yeah. and, 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 and even in talking with the Guinness officials, they pretty much told me in person look we don't like records that can't be beaten that's a dead record to us we yeah we like records that people can beat and top and we get more mileage out of it. yeah so when i showed him the technique to really beat my record i forgot to tell him just do a few uh, bubbles more you know yeah. just beat beat the record but then maybe i can come back and get it then you come get it but now it's set at such an incredible number that you know i explained that to him after the fact i think he got it you know but uh I don't know if that Japanese mind or mentality can quite understand that all competition. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. so let's backtrack a little bit to you sure. when you were younger. So you went to college to be a chef. Yes. Went to cooking school. Um, you know, came from a, a line of restaurateurs. My grandfather was the head chef at the Pentagon. Wow. Uh, uh, my they owned a seafood restaurant in DC for a while. My mother was involved in food service, so it was kind of a natural <clears throat> course, natural field. You know, everybody spends a little bit of time in food service, you know, <laughs> in their lives. And I was doing that, and I'm thinking, you know, I might as well, uh, you know, get a degree. And this was back in the era before celebrity chefs and the Food Network and all that. But I just figured it would be a good career to be an executive chef, you know. So. Yeah went to cooking school uh, and got my degree and uh, worked at a really slow restaurant, you know, not very busy. So my first partner, whose, whose name was Sean Sullivan, he became al dente. I was Alfredo. You know, so we had a lot of time in this restaurant to, to waste, very slow restaurant. So we're juggling whisks and tossing food back and forth and coming up with food-based shtick, you know, puns and entertaining the wait, wait was, staff. It, was the was it slow because the jug the cooks juggled the whole time or was it slow because there was nobody in there <laughs> no 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 the opposite way it was just a, a very okay. dead right. restaurant right. fortunately because the act was born there i mean that's, that's kind amazing. of where uh you know it all came together you know as i like to say we threw a noodle against the wall and it stuck you know so it was like <laughs> the fettuccine brothers were born anything's possible <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing Lots of good puns i love uh you know and i for me i came up uh, in the juggling community as a duo and so i watched a lot of your stuff coming up and uh so it, you were an inspiration to me uh as i was sort of like making my career 
And, uh, but what's funny is like, I didn't, when I was researching you, I didn't find a ton of Fettuccine Brothers stuff. Actually, what's funny, I wrote down, uh, I Googled Fettuccine Brothers and up came, did you mean the Flying Karamazov Brothers? <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. And that's why we, we used to be the Flying Fettuccine Brothers. And we took uh -huh. the flying out really early on just to try and eliminate any confusion with our heroes, you know, and our inspiration. And the whole reason we got into it was seeing those guys, you know, yeah. seeing their, their Showtime special. And, you know, when they were off Broadway, I just learned to juggle. And I was kind of like, yeah, man, I had long hair at that point. I was a bit of a hippie. And I was like, man, if those, if that group of hippies can make it to off Broadway, man, then we can make a living juggling. You yeah. know? Um, <laughs> then we make yeah. it to off, off Broadway. <laughs> And, and, and really early on, um, there was a little juggling club here in Charlotte where, where I started juggling. And uh, one of the members of the club at the time, his name was Bill Giddes. He happened to be president of the International Jugglers Association. And he was also the editor and publisher of Jugglers World magazine. So there's kind of like the nucleus of the juggling world with this dude that i met really early on you know uh that 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 year happened to be the year that the big ija convention was in atlanta just a few hours away i think that was 85 so bill said hey there's this big convention down here you should check it out so really early on in my juggling sort of career i got exposed to juggling on a really large scale yeah. that was back when the ija had you know 1200 1300 people showing up you know uh. so you walk into the gym and there's hundreds of objects in the air. You know, the energy was just so exciting and so electric. And uh, yeah. then, then to see all these people, oh, that guy makes a living as a juggler. I you know, started realizing it could be a career, you know, that it's uh, then seeing the shows and all these people being funny and being engaging. And there were great acts there that year in the public show. So that really lit the fire as far oh, as interesting. Uh, you know, and early on learning to juggle, realizing that, that you could monetize it and actually travel and see the world. That was another appeal. And um, how did you how did you make that transition from being a chef and learning to juggle with your friend who is also working at this, you know, restaurant? And, sure. You know, and then you you're seeing IJA, you're seeing like people, there's professional performers, you're sort of recognizing that it could be a career. How did you make that leap? What was the sort of first things that you did to sort of set that in motion? Sure. It was, it, it happened very uh, naturally in that uh, I had an opportunity with the local community theater. They were doing Barnum, the, the stage show production oh, cool. of Barnum's life. And they needed somebody to come in and teach the cast how to juggle, choreograph a couple of the scenes in the play. Although it was community theater, it didn't pay. They said, Hey, we can get you a nice little write-up in the paper, you know, in, in exchange for you helping us out. So that really kicked things off. Charlotte was kind of just starting to boom as a banking city, as sort of this hub on the Eastern seaboard. Um, and they gave me a nice full page of the front page of the local section, write-up of me riding a unicycle, juggling, even had my phone number printed in there, which oh, at wow. the time that that's, was gold, you know, risky. Yeah. So the next thing you know, my phone's ringing off the hook. Hey, can you come to this party? Met a couple of event planners locally who, you know, were plugging us into little gigs. And uh, you know, it wasn't long, you know, before I was easily matching on the weekends mm. 
what I would make all week in the kitchen pay wise. And it was so I was young. It didn't have a mortgage, didn't have a family. It was at that right point in my life where I could make that leap of faith and go, Hey man, I'm just going to be a juggler. You know, it was right about the time I'd finished gotten my cooking degree, you know, but I was like, Hey, I can come back to this. I'll come back to this later. You know, there was a, a guy locally named Sean Emery who actually, uh, was a Ringling Clown College grad and, and, a, and a working full-time juggler. And he came back and they wrote a little article about him in the paper. And he'd been working cruise ships and sailing all over the world. And I'm like looking at that going, that looks really cool. I'd love to be able to get paid to see the world and, and, and entertain people to make them laugh. You know, so having these examples, being close to Bill Gitt is there were a yeah. couple of sort of serendipitous things that really helped you know kickstart it really early on um and knowing bill really early on led us to getting a six-month contract overseas at holland village holland village was a gig that a lot of people were getting at the time that's in japan right yes indeed over near uh, nagasaki in japan and they've been doing short contracts two and three week contracts and this was the first time they were looking to do six month contracts to cut back on having to fly so many people. So we ended up in the first year and a half of our career, getting this nice big fat six month overseas contract working in Japan, which really, you know, once again, helped sort of build a good foundation, helped us realize we like doing this full time, you know, um, and, uh, we were off and running from there. Uh, and had a lot of really good success, made a lot of really good connections. We were got into cruise ships after that, sort of at the tail end of the, the golden era of cruise ships where there weren't a lot of people competing to work on ships. It wasn't the big market that it is now. And we endeared ourselves to a couple cruise lines and started doing cruise ship dates. We found a really good college agent back when NACA was really thriving. Well, NACA is not what it used to be now. Um, you know, we went and showcased one year and booked like 50 dates, wow, you know, 50 amazing. gigs with one showcase. Yeah. That's not happening today, you know. Um, <laughs> so we kind of hit everything timing wise, you know, the comedy boom. You know, there were all these TV shows, comedy on the road, at night at the improv, lots of opportunities for variety acts to get TV opportunities. And we were right there in that kind of sweet spot, you know, to to take advantage of that, you know, and, uh, had a really, really good run, you know, uh, yeah. you know, hit all the markets we wanted to hit. And, you know, uh, I think it was Oscar Wilde that said there are two great tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want. And the other one is getting what you want. And, <laughs> you know, we kind of set all these goals and achieved them and just sort of at one point kind of hit burnout, you know, it was just mm. like, Trav didn't say no enough, you know, just kind of yeah. got greedy and, 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 and sort of lost the joy and the pleasure in it. At one point we were traveling too much and not resting and not finding that balance, you know, and after about 13 years, just kind of hit burnout, you know, it was yeah. just like, man, we need to take a break. You know, uh, that, that was, uh, kind of a, a turning point, you know, um, in the Fettuccini brothers career, you know, uh, too much success, one might say. <laughs> if you can imagine that, you know, we were probably we're making more money than we ever were. Close had, to the sun. We weren't happy. You know, the fun had kind of gone away. It start the act was born out of a friendship, 
you know, we, we found ourselves in between doing a double, doing two colleges, a nooner and a night show and flying in between gigs and stressing That's out bananas. at the airport, yeah. fighting like an old married couple, you know, <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, so it was like, let's step back, you know, let's take a little break, you know. Um, what was it like to sort of, uh, you know, because you were a juggler and you were touring and what was it like to sort of reinvent yourself and sort of, because you've sort of wandered into a whole new show, a whole new sort of genre of, not that it's, I mean, it's still a variety entertaining doing the bubbleology. But sure. Sort of like you sort of reinvent, sort of reinvented your show and your sort of image and sort of uh, what you do. Definitely. What was that like? Was that scary or? It, it was, but it once again, just like so many elements in my journey, it was very sort of like uh, very organic and very, you know, um, I never set out, you know, to like reinvent myself as a bubble entertainer um, during this hiatus from juggling uh with my first partner you know i did a few things i wasn't smart and didn't save my money you know i always just thought we were going to make more money we'd keep climbing the ladder hey man yeah. there's plenty of money coming in it's just gonna get we're just gonna get richer and richer you know so <laughs> i wasn't smart so all of a sudden when we took this break i'm like well i have to do something to to generate some income so i actually got my stagehands card my union card here with the stagehands local iotc uh 322 and all of a sudden started learning about lighting and sound and stage production and everything behind the scenes, which was really compelling and interesting as yeah. someone who'd spent, you know, 15 years on stage, all of a sudden I'm learning what everybody else was doing, you know, while I was on stage and it was uh, a wonderful little sort of sidetrack, you know, uh, of a career to, that really in the end only made me a better performer. Totally. Mm -hmm. But, the fact that I stayed close to performing helped me realize that I did want to be back on the stage ultimately. Um, so going back to being so, a chef wasn't an option. You were like, <laughs> no, actually, you know, the more I got away from that, I'm kind of like, man, that's a young man's game. I do not want to go back to cooking professionally. You know, the, the further that got in my rearview mirror, the less that became of an option, you know, and, and the little foray into creating, you know, the paddleball king, this sort of farcical kind of tongue in cheek character, <laughs> which gave me the affiliation with this, you know, with, with, with Guinness, it served a purpose, but I knew it wasn't going to really lead to anything as far as, you know, extending my career. So <laughs> I, I was looking for a, a, a juggling record to set, you know, I'd set these paddleball records that were fun, but because my roots were as a juggler, I wanted to come up with a fun novel juggling record to set. So I thought uh, bubble juggling, perhaps that might be something, a new record, the longest time juggling three bubbles. So that was sort of the singular, the whole singular mission in me setting off to explore wow. soap and bubbleology was so I could juggle three bubbles and try and set a new Guinness world record. So once again, I applied to Guinness knowing it would take a while for them to get back with me with an answer, you know, and it would just be some arbitrary decision, but what the heck I'll try. So I sent in the application for their approval to attempt the record. And in the meantime, I started playing with soap, you know, trying to figure out how to actually do what I had applied to do, you know? Uh, and so 
this was at a time when my juggling career wasn't doing really well. Um, couldn't buy a gig. Uh, had a big client that owed me a lot of money, go chapter seven, kind of a oh. dark period, you know, really kind of depressed, really kind of feeling like I'd invested most of my life into this career as an entertainer. And it led me to a dead end road. And here I was in my fifties and I had a family now and a mortgage to pay and, and I couldn't pay my bills and just really dark period. But in me exploring with the soap, I would play with bubbles and it would kind of bring me back down to earth. You know, it was like this therapeutic kind of thing, you know, playing with the soap and the, the beauty and the majesty of the bubbles. And when I started making big bubbles and going outside and watching them float away, it was like, I could feel, you know, my stress kind of floating away with the bubbles and feel my heart rate being reduced just through the soap, you know? So it was the pursuit of this singular goal of juggling bubbles, but it kind of became therapy for me, you know? And I'm like, uh, all of a sudden realized, man, it's been days since I picked up any juggling equipment, but I've been playing with bubbles every day, you know? So mm. I went down the rabbit hole, so to speak, you know, just kind of became literally obsessed with the world of bubbles, playing yeah. with them, creating sculptures, delving into the world of bubble performers. I was aware of it. I'd seen Tom Noddy on TV, you know, and I'd seen some other bubble performers, but I never, never really crossed my radar in this way. And I just uh, really became so enamored with this new medium and fascinated with it. Um, and it was therapy for me, you know, so one day just for the heck of it i decided to take it out into a park and do it in, with people in front, in front of the public for the first time and the reaction was just so incredible i was like yeah. oh my god this has this magical quality about it that so few things in the world have i just sort of thought this is this is it kind of this is the universe kind of shoving me in that direction mm -hmm. and once i sort of consciously made that decision just i'm going to be a bubble guy now i'm you know it, it just like everything changed so at first it was like therapy that saved my life literally brought me back from the edge of darkness but then it eventually saved my career once i started bubbling and started booking myself as a bubble entertainer it was like oh my god it, it, it just took off like a rocket ship. You All need a, a t-shirt that says "Bubbles saved my life. I do. <laughs> it's a Ted talk waiting to happen, man. You know? Now, but did no you kid. ever, did you ever get the world record for bubble juggling? They turned me down when oh. I finally heard back from them. They said, no, we don't think that's a, but you know, their answers are so arbitrary. And since then, I've actually learned to do it pretty good. So next time I'm going to resubmit and I'm going to submit a video with it. Yeah. And, and they may change their mind. It may still happen. Um, but in the meantime, it set me off on this wonderful new yeah. second act in my life that essentially it's like my whole life as a juggler merely prepared me for this bubble life um it, it, it's just amazing how <laughs> bam bam everything started happening getting invited by the obamas to perform on the south lawn of the white house i'm going to hollywood and bubbling for the world premiere finding dory all this stuff I and mean, it was like all of a sudden you know i thought that i had totally lost this career in showbiz you know and just yeah. like floundered and 
here I was suffering and couldn't buy a gig. And then all of a sudden, I can't keep up with the flow of requests for my time and services. Wow, I've yeah. never been busier in my life. I've never had. Are you saving money now? <laughs> I'm saving some money. This time. <laughs> Only because it's coming in so fast. I can't spend. It's crazy. It really is. It's, so it's been, each year, my income has increased. Up. And the yeah. beauty of it is, and this is all just, you know, once again, just sort of being in the flow and the universe kind of working out. You know, I just turned 60 recently, you know, and bubbling is something as I say, that, that you can you can age more gracefully into yeah. than, than juggling. You know, you don't see a lot of old-time jugglers. There's only a few out there that do it and still look good doing it. But bubbles are so zen. They're so laid back. I could see myself doing this for a few more years, certainly, than I could juggling. It's less physical. It's less strenuous. It's more, yeah. you know, you can ease into it. It's definitely laid back. So side benefit i can do this a little longer than i could as a and juggler you, you uh were smart you sort of are got to the point where i think we all wish we could do where you've been able to sort of franchise out your yes performances a little bit and you know do you how do you go about finding people that are do you train these people to do bubble shows for you or are they bubble enthusiasts already mix of both uh, i have trained maybe four or five people that i've got like a three-day program that i offer to people that are interested um i'm always careful in who i select you know geographically mm. it has to be right i'm not going to create competition and someone that's not too ambitious <laughs> yeah someone who's ambitious <laughs> enough but not too ambitious yeah it's hard to find that mix no but i try not to create competition for my other bubbleologists who are well established you know i'm not going to train someone who's going to be right on top of them although there's a lot of work i try to be conscious of that you know i try to only work with people who are just looking for the new skill set i don't necessarily teach them a lot of the the business side of it so i'm looking for people who are already kind of established performers that are just looking for a new medium yeah you know much like myself some people have seen my journey and seen the success and go hey i'm getting a little older too i think that bubble route might work for me so I've trained a few people. And then and then as far as just sort of keeping my finger on the pulse of the bubble folks working in the field, you know, I've got a college agent who keeps me pretty busy and they're based in Florida. And so they get a lot of colleges in Florida. There's a guy down there, Blaze, the Spheres Bubble Show. Great young sort of bubble magician who I've used a lot, you know, to fill dates when I can't be there. Yeah. There's another gal up in Pennsylvania called Meadow Perry who just performed at the magic castle and has done some high profile stuff. She's very slick. I use her occasionally. Cool. So there's a few people in different parts of the country that uh, if I can't physically be there myself, the soap bubble circus can appear there. So they appear right. under the umbrella of, nice. of my brand. Um, and I specifically branded the show non name specific. So mm -hmm. we could do that. You know, That's it's very, not going to always smart. be Steve Langley, but the show's going to be of the same caliber of the same yeah. quality, you know, so I'm usually careful, you know, of the folks that I choose to go in and, and represent me. And I've got a pretty good section of folks in different parts of the country that have, uh, you know, so I don't have to leave money on the table, so to speak. You know, <laughs> I, I hate having to turn people down when they want bubbles, man. It's hard to say no. to Guys, the bubble hard, man. I would say when you did the moisture festival, I think you're the only the second bubble person they've had. 
I think so. Three. You know, because third, um, who's the third? Is he, uh, Louis Pearl. Actually, Louis Pearl. Oh, Louis Pearl. You're right. Louis was there once. Louis did an appearance who is married to Jet Black Pearl. Yeah. There a lot. Yeah. And uh, well, you know, because Tom is so heavily involved and, and that's, you know, he's there every year. So it was kind of a fluke. Uh, Tom ended up being booked in Germany mm-hmm. uh, for the, you know, a variety run over there. So so the opportunity was there for another bubble performer. And uh, I tried to get in there many years as a Fettuccini brother, and we never managed to get booked there. And I figured as a bubble guy, I was never going to get in there. But that one year, sort of the door opened up and and Tom gave me the nod, which is, you know, to me, it's like getting was... knighted or something or <laughs> but that's what I felt t- like. Touched I like, by oh, the Pope. May I kneel down behind? You know, he's like the Yoda of the bubbling world, you know, and to to get his seal of approval and then go and, and actually have, you know, receive some good compliments and in sort of Tom's backyard, you know, um, yeah. it was probably one of the highlights of my career, to be totally honest. You know? That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How, was, how was the experience when you were at the Moisture Festival? It was fun. I had a blast. I was you know, probably more nervous than I normally would be, you know, because there's such big shoes to fill. But um, but that was just all my own fault. You know, the whole scene was just great because you know, yeah. I've heard so many people, so many of my friends have worked it and they're like, oh, it's all about the hang. There's so many good people and such a yeah. good time. So that part of it was totally chill. I just probably added more stress to it on my own, <laughs> you know, knowing I was there filling in for Tom Naughty. Yeah. <laughs> You know, well, once I got it, the first show under my belt and it went well, yeah, I had a good time. It was a I good always, time. I always get nervous when it's like people that I respect or respect their opinions or yes. I have to see again. That's when, yep. the, when I get nervous. <laughs> yeah, to me, that's, I'm one. the same way. Having that cast as your audience off in the wings. Yeah. You know, it's like, whoa, yeah, I don't want to don't want to stink up the joint in front of all these cool people. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's almost yeah. like you want to turn your show 90 degrees and play, play to those people. Not yes. Oh, yeah. So often I'm like, yeah, yeah, because I'll, that's where all the cool kids were. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting, you know, with someone with your resume, someone who's performed at the White House, been on the Tonight Show, all these TV shows and like you get nervous for performing for your colleagues <laughs> yeah and i think it'll always be that way you know yeah. um it's interesting um but you know it's like i tell people you know people who you know call it stage fright you know i've always tried i never really called it stage fright because to me it's 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 really just a a desire for your material to be liked you know yeah. it's 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 not necessarily a fear as much as it is a concern a genuine concern that that what you're doing is well received and, 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 uh, you know, and so people that go, Oh, I don't get stage fright. I either think one of two things, you're either lying or you're saying you don't care anymore. Yeah. I agree. That's it. You know, cause yeah. to me, that's all it is. It's, it's a, it's a concern over God. I hope they like my bubble tricks as much as they like Tom's, you know, yeah. it's, it's this, you know, but, but people think of it as fear. And although it could be, you know, it's more, I think of more of a genuine concern over, you know re, uh, how well your stuff is received yeah you know? yeah and so if but, people want to find you they can find you at soapbubblecircus.com uh, where can we find the paddle ball paddles you know i think I've, I've still got a facebook paddle ball king page i think is how people still track me down i stopped having the website for that a while back but yeah if you look up paddle ball king i, I still have a youtube channel 
uh, with, with, with paddle ball King. And that has some of the instructional videos and oh, cool. it's got my Italian performance on there where it's like a, you know, an incontinent chihuahua humping a paint mixer, you know, it's, like, it's so sexual, you know, this humping, this air humping with these paddles attached at my waist and all the Italians are going, bravo, bravo. I mean, it was, You're it was smoking. so freaking like, surreal, man. It's like, <laughs> okay. So cool. We'll, we'll check that out. Was that inspired at all by the yo-yo man, by the Smothers brothers or? I, 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 no, you know, um, I was I was already coming up with unusual ways to do multiple paddle balls. And then at one juggling convention, I don't know if you know Randy Cabral, who's oh, a juggler yeah. who also does some paddle balls. He does triple paddle balls. And then there was another guy there that we met online. So between the three of us, we were kind of like the little nucleus of all that is paddle ball in the universe. You know, so <laughs> so we created the the United States paddleball team, this sort of farcical organization. <laughs> you wear short shorts. Website at one time and had a logo drawn. And oh, that's amazing. We had, we had people sending us free paddle balls, you know. Uh, uh, it, it was crazy, you know. It was all done humorously. And that was sort of the inspiration. We got into this thing of challenging each other, you know, who can do this, who can do the most. And, and it just sort of grew into this whole thing that, uh, you know, ended up, we had some fun and got some Guinness attention and, you know, had, had a good run with it. But, you know, I realized at one point I thought I was going to have this whole paddle ball act, right. I'm going to have led paddle balls and I'll have paddle balls that I dip in paint and create paintings with paddle balls. And it'll, you know, this whole sort of multimedia, you know, <laughs> you know, and then I was like, ah, no, then bubbles came along. Thank goodness. Bubbles entered my life when they did <laughs> To put a stop to that. There's a more, more of an appetite for bubbles than there is paddle yeah. ball. So the, the, the paddle balls were kind of a bridge, if you will, you know, between uh, the juggling and the bubbles. But it, it served as introducing me into Guinness, which was a good part of yeah. the whole, you know, whole ride. And uh, and like I said, I still get occasionally get a request for someone. Go, hey, man, you got some more than paddle balls, you know, <laughs> first couple ones are free, man. You know, it's like the heroin dealer. <laughs> Well, I'm going I'm to buy some, so I'll be going there. Uh, Hit me so up, man. I will, for sure. And so where else can people find you? I would imagine YouTube. Are you on Instagram? Yep, so yep. Soap Bubble Circus is sort of my handle on, on all the, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, some good instructional stuff out there. You know, some good visual content. You know, if you're killing time, just want to look yeah. at some. Bubbles are so, they're so colorful. They're so beautiful. They're just there's something about them that's so enchanting and so magical, yeah. you know, um, that uh, it's it's uh, I'm, I'm still enamored with it as a new, that's cool. you know, art form, new medium, new sort of vehicle to to do what it is that I like to do, which is essentially connect with people, try and affect them, try and make them smile, make them happy. You know, bubbles oh. are one of the easiest things I've ever used to do that with, that's you know, amazing. people. People connect with juggling, you know, and then there's, you know, they tend to want to put it in the clown box, you know, um, took me a while to get used to that. But but bubbles are something that have this huge frame of reference. You know, everyone has a personal experience with bubbles at some yeah. point in their lives, either as a child or playing with their children. And, and it's always a happy experience. It's always a pleasant memory. So it, it triggers these happy thoughts and happy memories with people that, uh, 
it's a beautiful thing. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Well, we, well I we, think we, everyone we, has a point of reference with paddleball too. Everyone's picked one up. That's right. And, and, and if you're like me who grew up in the South, when the rubber band breaks, it's no longer a paddle ball. It's a paddle. <laughs> you get your butt spanked with that. <laughs> We're lucky to have you at the Moisture Festival. And uh, yeah, maybe we can have you back and uh, bring the paddle ball king. I would like the return of the paddle. king. Yeah. I need to bring some paddle king. balls back. You know, Tim first when he, when he hired me there, he was kind of like, yeah, you know, I heard you do this paddle ball thing. I kind of hope you're going to do some of that. I think he was a little disappointed that I didn't do some paddle oh, ball well. stuff. So. Well, we but you got to save we... a few things. Gotta do you have a, a soap things. paddle ball? Oh, yeah. That could be cool. Soap bubble yeah. paddle ball. I thought about that. Bring it all together. <laughs> Bring it all together. <laughs> all right, Steve. Well, we really appreciate your time. I'm glad, you know, we've been trying to make this happen for a while. You were a treat. and uh, I feel yeah. so bad you know, before oh, no, I all missed good, the man. time. Uh, glad no, we we're, we're glad we can make it work and thanks for being accommodating to our schedule this yeah week, nice so. chatting with y'all yeah Been a buddy, pleasure Osmo, we're gonna get you back at the moisture festival in the future so we'll make it happen please do love right. to come back all right buddy thanks Take guys <laughs> have a good one That's it for today, folks. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out more information like who's performing, how to volunteer, how to contribute, be sure to go to the Moisture Festival website, which is moisturefestival.org. If you like this podcast, you can check out the podcast that Matt and I do called the Odd and Offbeat Podcast. Yeah. You can get on all of the podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and where we talk about weird news stories of the day. It's a good time. Yeah. If you like this podcast, you will love that because it is all things weird. <laughs> <laughs> and that has links to my personal page and Louis Fox's personal page if you want to follow what we do individually. So we want to thank all of the performers, donors, sponsors, volunteers who play Put on the Moisture Festival. It really takes a village to make this thing happen. Absolutely. We want to thank you for listening, and we want to thank you in advance for coming out to the Moisture Festival. So be sure to check out the Moisture Festival's site. They also have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a YouTube page to see how you can get involved and be a part of this year's or next year's Moisture Festival. We want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast, and we hope to see you soon. See you later. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast and stay moist.